Hey, this is Tolly Wilkins of Captivate Church, and we're so glad you've joined us on our podcast today. This is one way that we can take our message from Baltimore all across the world. We pray that today encourages you, inspires you to become the man or woman that God's designed you to be. We've been talking about uh, paradise over the last several weeks and really just kind of comparing this idea that, um, that many of us, we try to build our own paradise here on earth. We try to set up uh, things around us in our lives that, that, that make us feel like we're in heaven. And uh, we always want heaven on earth, whether it's uh, we, want, we want that boyfriend or that girlfriend, we want that house, we want that car, we want that job, we want those friends that'll, that'll hang out with us. And since we want all this stuff, what we're trying to do is set up a paradise here on earth. And so we're talking as we look at Christmas, one of the angles that we're taking this year is that, you know what, the reality is, is that this earth isn't paradise for us. It's like a little child setting up a sandcastle on a beach, knowing that the waves, now the child doesn't know, but the parents know, the waves are going to knock down your work. Um, But in the meantime, you enjoy it, and you let it go, and you understand the waves are going to come in and crash. But as an adult, you look and you just say, man, do I want to give my entire life to something that's just going to all wash away? And then we have this alternative. We have this alternative paradise when Jesus came. When we look at Christmas, Christmas was paradise coming to us. And paradise uh, being found many times in Scripture as a symbol of heaven. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. When we look at the Garden of Eden, it's described as a paradise. In the book of Nehemiah, when they're going to to go and he needs to get some, some lumber, they call the area where he went and got lumber the king's paradise, meaning just untouched, unvarnished, beautiful piece of land. And and for you and I, what we try to do is create paradise in the midst of chaos, and we get frustrated when our paradise falls apart. And so what if we looked at Christmas a little different? What if we looked at Christmas and said, you know what, it's a reminder for us to build a different type of paradise. It's a reminder for us that there is a paradise that has come and, and has come into our brokenness and set up shop. His name is Jesus. And what if that's the paradise that we could invest our lives in, knowing That where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. Knowing that wherever we invest, it's not going to rot. It's not going to fall away. It's not going to be destroyed or stolen. But that investment is going to be internal. What if we built that paradise? So for the last few weeks, we've been talking about this paradise. And today, I want to encourage you as we approach the final approach towards Christmas. I want to encourage you to, to what we can do. How can we, how can we approach Christmas in the last week and a half or so? And today, I want to talk to you about anticipating paradise. Wait with wonder. Waiting with wonder. What, what if we could wait with wonder? What if we, as we approach Christmas, as we think about the paradise that has come through Jesus, what if we could wait with wonder? And not, not just wait and say, well, it's got to come, and, and not just say, oh, well, it's just another holiday, a baby being born, big deal. What if we were waiting with wonder? John Piper tells this story. That near the end of World War II in Nazi Germany, there were some Americans that were locked up in, inter- in essentially internment camps. They were locked up and, and, and they weren't getting fed. They weren't getting treated well. And, and the reality is they, they were, were slowly depleting. Their energy was gone and they just figured they're going to die this way. And so they're, they're prisoners of war and they're locked up and their, their countenance goes from being optimistic and hopeful to being down and dreary and disturbed. And over time, their countenance begins to change and, and all of a sudden, the guards notice something. 
All of a sudden, the guards come by and the guards notice that these American prisoners, now they're happy. And, and they're happy and they're wondering, why in the world we haven't fed you and we've treated you poorly? Like, what is going on here? The Americans knew something that the guards didn't know. You see, a, a transistor radio had been smuggled into the camp. And the Americans had heard on this radio the night before that the Allied forces have stormed the area and they're taken over. Now all of a sudden, instead of sitting there wondering, when is this all going to end? How bad the situation is. Now they know. The deliverance is coming. The rescue is almost here. And so now their weight was changed because of good news that they had received. Their weight has changed. You see, because when you're waiting, you could be waiting, and when you don't know the outcome, and when you don't know what's going to happen, you could be waiting what seems like forever. But when you know the outcome, and you know it's about to change, and you know everything's about to shift, then all of a sudden there becomes an active weight. There becomes an excitable weight. There becomes a weight with joy and purpose. And so now all of a sudden, they, they, they had a different countenance. They said, it'll just be a matter of time now. Our deliverer is coming. Good news changes the weight. You see, my friends, in Luke chapter 2, we, we, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Remember this? The angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for how many people? All the people. Good news with great joy has been delivered through Jesus. And so we have an, an active weight. There's something that's changed here. I'm going to throw out two words that you've heard much about. Anticipation and Advent. Anticipation and Advent. You see, anticipation is this idea that, that it, for us and my family, we're about to go down to Florida. And so we, we booked this trip like eight months ago. And, and we were just talking with some people and we're like, hey, you want to go? And they're like, yeah, we want to go. And, and so our family, another family, we got this house. And so for the last eight months, every once in a while, when you kind of get down or it's cold outside and it's rainy, you just kind of get on the app. And I open up that house. I'd be like, man, I got a pool. I don't mean to get y'all upset at me right now. But you see, it's, a, it's an active weight. I know something is about to come. And so for eight months now, I've been able to say, man, it's, I know it's cold right now. I know I'm wearing sweaters right now, but just give me a matter of time. An active weight. Good news changes your weight. And then we have Advent. So anticipation and Advent. Now, here's the thing. I'm not going to smash all your Advent dreams. But one of the reasons that we, you don't hear a lot of that um, around here too much, or maybe you come from a different faith tradition or whatever, and, and um, Advent, the idea behind Advent is it's kind of this somber weight. Like, and it's, uh, it's meant to, to, to represent the gap between essentially the Old Testament and the king's arrival. That's essentially the idea, right? But, but I, there's nothing in the Bible that tells us to be somber as we're approaching Christ. In fact, now that we're on the other side, now that we're on the other side and we kind of know what happens that day, I kind of take a whole different approach to the game. It's just like, I don't want to sit down and be somber for 25 days. Why? I know what happened. And so for, for you and for me, you guys, you could choose. Keep, does it hurt to do Advent? No. But, but we're not told to. We're not even told to celebrate the birth of Christ, believe it or not. There's nothing that's mandated to do that. But if you're going to do it, you know, my idea is have fun. 
So if you're going to celebrate, why don't you celebrate on the other side of the fact that you know who he is and the fact that you know that he's come and the fact that he's come to give you good news of great joy for all people. Like, why be somber for 25 days? Be excited. Look forward to the fact that, you know what? No, deliverer is born. Jesus was born. And because Jesus came and he lived the perfect life and he died on that cross, my sin has been removed. And so I don't, I don't need to be somber waiting for this event to happen. I can have great joy when this event is about to happen. Every single year I can teach my kids, you know what? Be excited. Wear silly clothes. Have a good time. But the reason that we're, we're a different level of excited is not going to be commercialized. It's going to be because it's all about Christ. So, yeah, have fun with your sweaters and have fun in the community and go out and watch lights and all. But make sure that you know in your heart, this is a lot of joy built up for your Savior coming. Isn't it kind of funny? Like the world has adopted the holiday and made it fun and joyful and colorful and celebratory. And then the church adopts the holiday that they weren't told to. And, and then they make it like a somber moment. Like, hey, be sad for like three and a half weeks. What? We do that to everything, don't we? We poo-poo on everything. So here's the thing. You and I, we have a different idea. Uh, we, you and I can have a different idea of how we approach Christmas. And I want to give it to you today. I want to remind you that there is a lot we can learn from, from the birth of Christ that will help us to have an active, joyful wait. Did you know there were two areas where we actually are commanded by Scripture? Two holidays or two, two marks of Jesus' life that we're supposed to, to do? Uh, we call these ordinances. And one of those is the Lord's Supper. We're told to do that. We're told as the church that we should take the Lord's Supper together, that we should, we should break bread and we should drink the wine and we should um, celebrate the Lord's death until he comes. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians 11. And then we're also told to mark Jesus' uh, life, death, burial, and resurrection through baptism, believer's baptism. By the way, I found out uh, the other day, I had some people ask, can they get baptized at our Christmas Eve Eve service? I'm like, heck yeah. Like, Who? What church doesn't do that? So, uh, so, we're, so we're doing it. So it'll be fun. But, but here's the thing. We're told to do that. But what is that about? It's about the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We're never really told one way or another what to do about the birth of Christ. But if we look at the model, the model tells us to have fun. The model tells us to have joy. The model tells us that the angels came down, people pooped their pants, and then they were like, hey, don't be afraid. Have fun. It's joyful. And we're like, oh, my bad. Got to go change. But we'll be back. Not... We're not told to go dark for Christmas. So here's the thing. What would be different if we practiced awaiting with wonder? Instead of waiting with somber, instead of just making another holiday, instead of letting it be commercialized, instead of fighting all the Fox News, CNN debates, and blah, blah, blah about Christmas and yelling at Starbucks or other cups, if we quit doing all that garbage and we just said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to approach this season with wonder. What would change about our hearts? What would change about our lives? Let's look at Luke 1, starting in verse 26. It says this, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is what? With you. To wait with wonder means you live knowing the Lord is with you. To wait with wonder, you're waiting knowing that the Lord is with you. 
Now, I don't know, I don't know where you are in, in your weight. I don't know what you have, but I, what I know is that with is prophesied. The idea of with is prophesied. Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall, they shall call his name Emmanuel. God being with was, was not only prophesied, but it was fulfilled. In Matthew 1, 23, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. Jesus even reminded us that he's with us. In Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, what? I am with you always, even to the end of the day. This seems to me, I don't know about you, but if it's written multiple times in the Scriptures, it seems to me kind of important God wants me to know that he's with me. Amen? He's with you. He's with you. He's with you. I talk to Christians, and Christians sometimes get, you know, kick the rocks and get the Eeyore complex head down. And it's just like, bro, like, sister, he's with you. God is with you. That's the point of Jesus coming is that he's with you in your mess. He's with you in your struggle. He's with you in your, your pain. He's with you in your single, singleness. He's with you in your barrenness. He's with you in the, the, the battle. He's with you when they walked out. He is with you in, in your job. He is with you in your schooling. He is with you in your family. He is with you in everything you're going through. He is with you. But so oftentimes, we live as though we are the ones without we worship the with, so don't live like you're without. You're not without his love. You're, you're not without his fullness. You're, you're not without his counsel or care or compassion. You're not without his knowing. So oftentimes we believe that God doesn't know what we're going through. God doesn't know the battle I'm God doesn't know the, the struggles I'm having with anxiety or depression. God, God doesn't know. He is with you in the knowing. There's not one thing you're going to come up against. There's not one person that's going to treat you wrong. There's not one occasion in your life that's going to happen. And God says, oh, gee, I was asleep at the wheel. I didn't know. He's with you. He's with you. So many Christians aren't waiting with wonder. They are waiting without so many Christians are not waiting with wonder. They're waiting without. They're sitting there and they're, they're without optimism. They're without hope. They're without joy. They're without a future. They're without peace. They're without kindness. They're without gentleness. They're without love. And, and so many Christians, they say, hey, I'm a Christian. But man, all I see is a lot of without. We got to remember that Jesus is with. The reason that he's Emmanuel is that he is God with us. You're never alone. You're never beyond his awareness. You're never outside of his arm's reach. Some of us think God is a T-Rex. I'd love to help, but I really can't. Your, your situation is too hard. Never dealt with that before. Never, I've never been able to help before. I'd love to hug you. I'd love to give you love, but I can't. Like we, we got some ridiculous ideas of God. God is with you. He's Emmanuel, God with us. So not only... Not only is he, uh, if we waited with wonder, it means that he is with you. But also we go on, it says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Like I would say, if an angel dropped in, like, hey, you're about to get pregnant. But whoa, never even touched that dude. 
But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. This is the second time we've seen this word favor here. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. His, he, he will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom, look at this, will never end. Look at Mary's question, how will this be since I'm a virgin? You see, to wait with wonder, it not only means that you, you, you're waiting with, but it means that you're realizing that you live knowing that the Lord has found favor over you. You realize that the Lord has found favor. This is one, one of the hardest things that uh, many of us can understand. I, in past weeks, I've just mocked the idea that favor means you're always going to be blessed and you're always going to get more income and all that garbage and buy me a jet, you know. I mean, if you guys want to buy me a jet, like, feel free, but I'm not asking. But here's the thing. So, so, but this idea of favor. So people tend to have two different whacked out views of favor. Either one, like, let me chase all of the expensive things that I can. Let me just make my life all about that and just give me stuff. And so people mortgage their houses and give to churches and stuff. And it's like, don't do that. So that, that view of favor messes people up. But you know what the one that I more often see messes people up? It's this idea that I can't ever live like I do have the favor of God, like, like God cares for me. Because why? Because when you were young, you were told all of the discrepancies, all of the problems, all of the brokenness about yourself. And so you and I, naturally, we're in a fallen world. We're trying to figure things out. And when we're young, we're impressionable. And so we're just taking all this data in. And the only thing you can seem to focus on day in, day out, when you look in the mirror, is like all this brokenness and all this stuff that just doesn't work. And so this idea that somebody comes along and says, no, no, no. You, you have found favor with God. And so we naturally go back and we go, well, what, what did I do to get favor with God? Like, and then you walk through and the, the enemy's like, oh, no, you're, you're terrible. And you did that wrong. And you slept with that person. And you did that thing. And, and, and so you get on this list and you beat yourself back to the point. You go, there's no way I've got favor with God. But the Christian story, the Christian story, the birth of Christ is all about this. You didn't find favor with God for what you did. You found favor with God because God chose to find you with favor. God chose to put favor on you. Do you, do you remember the story in Luke 2.14? Glory to God in the highest in heaven and on earth, the angel said, peace on those on whom his favor rests. The angels looked down and said, do you guys realize we're singing all the time and we're telling God how great he is and how much favor he has. But God himself got out of heaven and came down to earth and found favor with you people to give you his presence. He didn't, he didn't come and say, the first thing you need to do is worship. No, no, no. He came and said, the first thing I'm going to do is serve, surrender, and die. You have found favor, not because of anything you've done, but because God has chosen to put favor on you. God has chosen to bless you. One of the things that I try to teach my kids all of the time is that, you know what? You don't earn jack from me. I didn't hire you. You're my child. You're my child. And every once in a while, I will pour out favor on you. I will just pour out. We moved, and I was like, you know, I want to... Get my son a new bedroom. We just moved. Why? It wasn't like he's whining and he needs it and he earned it. And I was like, here's all the stars. No, I just, I want to bless my son. My daughter, same thing. We'll go be through a store and I'll just be looking at it like, babe, pick out something. What? What did I do? It's not my birthday. Just, I love you. Like, you're, you're, you're my daughter. 
And then when your kids, here's the beautiful thing about with, with your kids, if your kids have insufficiency, to be the parent and to say, you know what? I got you. I got you. But I only got a dollar fifty-two. I got you. I can handle eight dollars. <laughs> like, like, why? Because I've got so much more. And their resources are my resources. If they have favor for being my child alone, not because of something they had to earn or get there. And you and I, we're in this season where we've got to understand what does it mean to find favor with God? It doesn't mean a Bentley and a Rolls. What it means is, is that I'm his son. I'm his daughter. And as a result, I have the favor of God on my life. And I need to walk around and stop acting like I'm without and stop acting like that my head is down. I need to walk around and understand I'm a child of an almighty and all-loving, all-knowing, wonderful God. Found favor. You see, Mary found favor with God. But the angels reminded us that we are the people on whom His favor rests. If you have been saved, you don't have to wait with worry. You can wait with wonder. You have wonder that you're considered favored. Look at the Psalms. The Psalms just spill this out. To have God's favor gives you a sense of wonder. It says in Psalm 5.12, For you bless the righteous. Lord, you cover them with favor as with a shield. Do you know where we get our righteousness? From Christ. You don't get your righteousness by your works. If you, if you think you're going to be able to earn God's uh, righteousness by your works, you're missing the gospel. But look at the, the, the next verse. It says, Psalm 90, 17, Let the favor of the Lord God be upon us and establish the work of our hands. And yes, establish the work of our hands. Meaning, God, I can do all that I want and I can labor and I can toil and I can go to work tomorrow and none of it's going to matter unless you bless it. Unless you establish the work of my hands. Unless you make it make sense. Unless you have that right person see what I'm doing and, 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 and raise me up. Unless you give me that new job opportunity. Unless you open up a way for me to live and get a house. Unless you find that person. Unless you do it, Lord. All of it is in vain. The scripture says, Jesus says, that I'm the vine. You are the branches. And apart from me, you can do nada. PTV version. So here's the thing. So for each one of us, we have to understand that, that we have the favor of God, not because we have earned it. We don't even have righteousness because we've earned it. Righteousness comes because Jesus has saved you. And when the Father in heaven looks down at you, he doesn't see the messed up, broken sinner anymore. He sees his son through rose-colored glasses. Rose-colored glasses, the blood of Christ shields the Father from seeing you in all of your sin. He loves you too much. The Scripture says that it's for His sake that He banishes your sin as far as the east is from the west, and He remembers it no more. The Scripture says it's for God's sake. You say, oh, well, it must be for my sake. Like, He's doing this for me. He's not even doing that for you. He's doing it for him. He loves his kids so much. He doesn't want to see you broken. The same way that as a parent, you don't want to see your child hurting. You don't want to see your child in sin. You don't want that at all. It hurts you to see them broken. And so your father in heaven says, I pour out my son Jesus and his blood covers you. And everyone who is blood bought, all of a sudden, I don't want to look at them in their sin anymore. I want to see Jesus in them. So even righteousness is a gift of God, not by works. The moment you think, if you're a Christian here today, and the moment that you think that your work is what makes you righteous, is the moment you have become arrogant, and the moment you have stepped outside of the blood of Christ. 
It's inside the blood of Christ. No matter how good or bad your behaviors, do not get into moral, uh, moral work with, with God. Do not get into the place to where you're just trying to live morally and upright and that becomes your savior. No, you will not be saved by that. Now, should you care and love and be more like Christ? Absolutely. But don't believe that saves you. That doesn't, that doesn't alter one way or another God's blood on the cross for you. The thing that saved you is his blood on the cross. You should become more like Jesus simply out of love. Just the same way that when I love people, I don't want to hurt them. If I love you, I don't want to hurt you. And so the reason that your sin debt goes down and down and down over time is not because you become more arrogant. It goes down, down, down over time because you just say, you know what? God, I love you. I don't want to hurt you. And sin hurts you. So I'm reducing my sin quotient because I understand that little bit of joy I got out of it causes so much pain to my dad. But I love my dad. Even righteousness is a gift. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. For his anger is but for a moment and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. What if you waited with wonder? What if instead of approaching Christmas as just another holiday, you realized, no, 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 this is when favor came. This is when, when with came. This is when paradise touched down. Verse 35, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, Mary, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the one that will be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. I love, I love the story of Christmas and I love to focus on Mary because she teaches us so much. Just in, in her humility, in her young years, she, nobody said, hey, you're, you're, you're unmarried, let me put you down. And Nobody said, hey, you know what, the, the issue is, is that you're too young to give any spiritual counsel. No, 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 the Lord found favor on this young lady and, and her response and how she handled everything. Remember, she treasured up and pondered in her heart. Whenever Oliver was there and Jesus was born, she teaches us so much. And so in this, she said, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. You see, when you're waiting with wonder, you live knowing the Lord has a plan to be fulfilled in you. When you're waiting with wonder, you live knowing God just like Mary, you found favor on her, you visited her, you told her that, that God would become Emmanuel, God with us. So you were with her, you found favor on her, but, but also, Lord, you had a plan for her life. God doesn't come into your world to disrupt your, your plan without giving you a better one. God doesn't come into your world and say, hey, by the way, I'm God now. I'd like to, to take leadership of your life. And then you sit back. And here's what most of us do. We go, God, I'm not really sure. Think about how stupid this is. God, I'm not really sure if you could do better than me. Isn't that what we say when we resist the hand of God in our life? What we're saying, think about it. What you're saying is to the one that spoke the world in existence, the one, all of us one day are going to be six feet deep or maybe your family will cremate you, whatever. But all of us are going to be gone. And, and you and I are either getting back into the dirt and we're just recycled matter or we matter. 
And, and I believe we matter. And if we matter to the one that made the heavens and the earth, and if he cares enough to be the one that is with, and if the scriptures tell us that the, the children that he's with, you and I, he's found favor enough to come close to. And then he pokes us and he says, Tolly, I want you. I want you to surrender your life and your heart and your will to me and just see what I could do. Just, just, just let, me, let me do my thing in your world. Will you, will you do that? Will you take up that deal? And what many of us go, okay, if it means heaven or hell, I'm in. I'm, I'll go to heaven. Cool. Awesome. Great. But then he goes, well, but what I want is I, 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 you got this thing going on with, with, with your family members. And, and I really, I want to get in there and I want to make that better. Well, like, will you let me? We're just like, oh, I don't know what that'll mean. Well, that probably will mean like some humility and some apologies and a, a few tears. And, and you're going to have to suck up your pride a little bit. But I promise on the other side, like there's a thing I want to do here. And we're just like, oh, I don't know, God. <laughs> you created the world. <laughs> like, I, I mean, I know you did a lot of cool stuff and all, but like I wasn't there. You know what I mean? Like, this is what we do. And we bargain with God. And we're like, God, I don't know if I follow your will that it's going to work out the way that I want. So I'm really not sure if I'm ready to, to play ball. And we do this with everything. We do this with, with resources. Oh, so, so, I don't want the preacher. Don't, don't, don't preach. Like, talk about money. It's like, oh, my goodness. Like, just, just, just let go. Let God do what he asked you to do. Chill out. Like, the last I checked, you have never opened your mouth and formed a universe. You have three holes in your face that are keeping you alive in this moment. How, how, how ridiculous are we? Like, close up three holes in your face and you're done. Like, you don't have the power you think you do. You and I can control almost nothing. You, you and I are going to go out and we're going to get on a highway when we leave here. And there, we're going to put ourselves completely around Hundreds upon hundreds of strangers. And we have no idea if they have licenses. We have no idea if they've been drinking. We have no idea anything else about But we're going to go and do that confidently. And we're going to say, I'm in control. No, you're in a tin can going 70 miles an hour on, on, on 695. Like, you're not in control, bro. Like, you really are not. It's a wonder we don't kiss the ground when we get out of our cars. Especially if you live here. But here's the thing. So how about instead of bargaining with God, how about you wait with this wonder to say, God, you came with, you find favor in me. But just like Mary, you have a purpose for my life. You have a plan for my life. You have an agenda. You say, waiting with wonder is an active wait. Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Ephesians 2.10. Ephesians 4.11 and 12 says this, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for what? Work of the ministry. For the building up of the body of Christ. You and I, when, when, when God look down, looks down at you, He says, you're my workmanship. You're my, you're my masterpiece. And you're created to do great things. And He looks down at the local church and He says, I've organized this thing called the local church so that you can be built up to sit around and watch TV. No! So you can be built up to go do great work and advance the cause of Christ on this earth. 
That's what you're here for. So as you wait with wonder, you don't just wait as an abject spectator. You are waiting with a sense of God came close. God found favor and God has a plan for me. Now, that's a participatory wait. That is a wait with a reason. That is a wait with a purpose. And that involves me. Now I'm waiting for Christ to come at Christmas as a reminder that God came close. God found favor. And God has a plan for my existence. Oh man, that's a good wait. That's a whole lot better than being sad for three and a half weeks. You and I, as we wait, let's wait this year with wonder. You might want to remind yourself of this expression. The Lord is with me. The Lord has given me favor. And the Lord has a plan for my life. The Lord is with me. The Lord has looked down at me with favor. He's given me favor and the Lord has a plan for my life. The Lord is with me. The Lord has given me favor. And the Lord has a plan for my life. With Favor and a plan. It's an active wait. This Christmas, let's not sit off at a distance. Let's believe that what happened that day years ago was for us. And it provides meaning and value and worth and, yes, great joy. Because why? It is good news. Let's pray.